Knockout Ginger episode 25 with Mark Godfrey. If you don't like baseball, maybe skip to the 18 minute mark. If you don't care about base stuff, maybe this one's not for you. Alright, thanks for coming out. F all the haters. Friends and enemies, welcome back to the long-awaited return of the Knockout Ginger podcast with, uh, statistics aside, a listener favorite, a return guest, <laughs> uh, Toronto bassist, composer, band leader, diehard Houston Astros fan. Oh my goodness, we're digging right in. <laughs> That's crazy. Someone texted me yesterday talking about the buzzers it's crazy it's, i it's it's amazing yeah can you get I, a little closer you, no is your chair not no i no, i totally can okay. i just i was trying to i usually do headphones like this oh yeah I'm prefer we used to it oh we're uh panned hard because yeah can. i'm over here well correct right like, yeah anyways yeah. houston astros yeah um baseball's ruined well, mucking with the game has always been a thing in baseball, right? Like the the corked bats and, um, you know, like the whole Pineda thing with the the stuff on his his neck. Or I I, think, I don't know. I, I was talking to Maddie about it. I, I'm not endorsing the how they were stealing signs digitally because, like, stealing signs is a thing in baseball. Like, if you're able to do it, like, cool good yeah. for you and like use it to your advantage and also like these pitches are coming so fast like it's amazing that anyone can <laughs> get anything on yeah. the ball um but it's just it's pretty slimy um it's so slimy i read a thing today uh in the athletic apparently nine batter nine pitchers got sent down directly after a bad game against the Astros in Houston. So they potentially damaged nine careers. Yeah, I mean, that that whole angle of it is also crazy because, yeah. like, moving up the ranks in Major League Baseball, I, I mean, I don't know much about, like, the farm system in the NHL or the NBA and that kind of stuff. I guess I know with the NBA, it's like, you know, the D-League, it's pretty clear, like, some guys end up making that kind of thing. Um but I don't think you have as many people coming from countries that aren't the United States to the U S to play baseball and making dismal, dismal, dismal money sharing, like not the great dorm room situations, just like day in, day out, reliving your high school jock career until you're like 28 and never break into the league. Yeah. So for, <laughs> for there to have been pitchers that got sent down, because of their performance against the Astros. That's crazy. Um, I don't know how much of this is actually going to be able to be proved. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Because like, it was like a fan theory, right? That's where it stood. Like, there's that video of Altuve, like, coming into home plate to celebrate something, and he, like, you know, don't touch my jersey kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there's also there's some uh, videos of Josh Reddick post-game interviews with some tape on his shoulder. Some very suspicious-looking tape. I saw that. Someone said it was just a like a, a gold confetti piece. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. <coughs> and the post-game interviews were... <coughs> Sorry. No, it's all good. Where, where Bregman's like... They ask him what pitches he's looking for, and he's like... he's He behaves very suspiciously. He's like, I don't know. Maybe that pitch. Oh, like, man. Like, they're That's not... so crazy. They're... Like, in hindsight, a lot of these videos are pretty sketchy. Yeah. You know? Like, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm like, I, baseball's broken for me for a little while, I think. Because of this? I think so. Because they didn't get caught immediately? Uh, yeah, I think so. 
I don't know. Yeah, no, it is. It's extremely problematic. Yeah. For the whole thing, like the fact that I, actually the pitchers getting sent down thing is something I hadn't thought about it's at all. So that's dark. that's fascinating to me because it really affects. Um. I it just it it affects how you think about the game and like what what you're able to do as a player and like yeah if there's a um uh if there's something that's helping you play the game better and you're just succeeding so like Jose Canseco like taking steroids and like hitting home runs like it's not like every single person was hitting home runs off the same pitcher um I mean maybe he ended up affecting someone's career detrimentally and mm. but also played again you got to think like how many people at the time were also using steroids mm-hmm. on so many other teams? Totally. So it's like, it's not totally. As- um, but yeah, for it to be like an organizational awareness uh, and for them to have been relatively dominant, you know, yeah. in just hearing other players talk about it. That's, I haven't heard that. I haven't, I haven't really dug into like what everyone yeah. else is talking about with it. So like 2017 Yankees Astros, such a close series yes and and the astros were only winning by like one run one hit at home and game seven at home totally and there's a cc sabathia thing and he's like as far as i'm concerned we are the world series champions in 2017 the wait the yankees yeah oh sorry you said we i'm just well, no, CC said that. Oh, oh CC said that. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, He's basically like, there's no doubt in my mind that we were the best team in baseball that year. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, if you look at the other angle, like, there's one, there's cheating. And cheating's part of baseball. That's just how yeah. it is, you know? But when you look at the, the, uh, the catastrophic mess that they've just created. Well, that's, that's kind of what I meant about, like, like corking the bats and using foreign substance on balls. It's like, it's sort of an even playing field. Yeah. Like the, even it's, it's, it's been dirty and, and steal stealing a sign thing. And, you know, but the whole using technology thing is kind of what complicates it because like, that's not, you know, I mean, there was that whole argument that like human error is a part of baseball yeah. as well. So like, that's the argument against, um, robotic efficient or like robotic umpires. Um, and, yeah, like, I, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like purist, I think, to be like, oh, yeah, no robots in baseball. Like, instant replay killed the, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, oh, where's the line drawn here? Yeah. Um, it's crazy. You want to hear what Mike Clevenger says? Yes, very much so. Oh, you actually <laughs> queued up. That lineup, that's another part that pisses me off. That lineup's talented enough that I think if they just had the due diligence to do the regular baseball shit, pick one of tip in whatever, they'd, be, they'd do damage. You have buddies that if they knew what was coming, would be perennial all-stars in the big leagues, dude. There's a lot more that the public doesn't see because you don't see the, the money being placed. You don't see guys going up and down. So you're not seeing those guys literally working their ass off to finally get a glimpse that literally living off their parents, like taking two different jobs in the off season, not even being able to have to lift at 2 a.m., bro. I've been there. I've been there. I've had to do that. I've had to live with my mom so I got to the big leagues. And now you're telling me that someone could have potentially shorted my career or sent me back down maybe figure shit out because they knew what I was doing when I was in their park so many guys are only there trying to figure out how can I stay here what will make me stay here but to each their own but I'm not going to sit here and just be quiet about with like someone blatantly taking millions of dollars and you know food off my table over on other people's table I don't think any of those motherfuckers should be able to look us in the eye they, they should feel ashamed you want to protect the guy next to you, you want to protect the sanctity of baseball, it's not giving $5 million, you know, discipline to a billion-dollar corporation. And while they're still walking around with the same ring on their finger in the same uniform, the same city, and the same contract, what's that really going to change? Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can't say I disagree with Clev. Like, I'm curious what someone like Verlander 
is going to come out and say. Yeah. So that Verlander trade happened in 2017 right before. Like right before the World Series. Yeah. Which is when they started using the technology. Right? Uh, no. Okay, so, they, so they were using the technology. Beforehand. Because before that whole season they so were doing. The theory is they were banging on the garbage can during the regular season. And then during playoffs it got too loud. Oh, okay. I, I mean, the garbage can thing is... It's fucking brilliant. It's hilarious. And it's hilarious. Like, but also, like... Yeah. I don't... Like... So, the theory is, I think, that they couldn't hear the garbage can during playoffs. Because it was so loud. So, the, they brought in the buzzers. If the buzzers are even a real thing. Who knows, but... Wow. Wow. Like, I, I don't know... The other thing, like, I feel like baseball is kind of the only, uh, well, baseball and football are the only two sports that you could, like, use technology to cheat in this type of fashion. Yeah, but technology is part of football. Like, you have someone Yeah, upstairs. something happened with the Patriots, though, recently. Did you see that? Um, I don't follow enough of that It league. was something about um, them. But they had, they had like, reporters or, or something. They had scouts that were, like. Filming the sidelines of yeah, practice totally. or something. But um, I, don't, I just don't think it's the same. No, I don't think it's the same, but um, what I'm saying is like the use of technology in baseball to cheat. I don't know how you do that in hockey. No, you can't. Or or basketball. Um, because like baseball, there is so much time in between the two things, you know. Because the hard part is baseball is hard because you basically have to predict what one guy is doing Yeah. in the field by himself. Yeah, it's... The defense has the ball until it's in play. It's the only sport that's like that. Yeah. Uh, man, yeah. So I, I was, um, I don't know if you ever played any of the like MLB, the show games for uh, no. PlayStation. I, I stopped at Ken Griffey ball for 64. Beautiful. Um, so on the, um, you used to be able to, uh, at some point, like the technology, Eric West and I were talking about this the other day um, because he just got a PS4. He bought the show and he's been playing baseball. And I was saying, oh, yeah, I haven't played this Must game. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I was saying how I haven't really played since 2010 because there was a year that I played and like you could just like randomly guess what pitch the pitcher was. So, and when it guessed, it like your controller vibrated properly and like base hit or home run or whatever every single time. Yeah. Um, and then that changed one year, like in 2011. And I remember trying to play and just like, Nope, this is, this is far too hard for me. Uh, I just about like this sport is hard enough as it stands, let alone making a video game harder. Like I was supposed to be having fun. I'm sure. And I know there are people who can actually play it. I just, I was like, well, this is too hard, but, having that professionally where like, you know that the pitch is coming. And I mean, there is a, yeah, I don't know. I was going to say there is a little bit of like, like they still have to hit it. But if you know that the ball is coming 10 miles per hour slower, um, it just drastically affects your bat speed and you go from there. Yeah. <sighs> On a brighter yeah. note, how do we feel about the the Blue Jays pitching rotation? <laughs> um, I, I I think I don't like how I I don't like that the first three pitch and I I may end up you know having to take back all of this stuff if they do well but I think Ryu has a lot of um, there's a lot of warning signs that you know yeah he's an incredible pitcher but also like you look at how many games he's played over the last four years and it's, you know, not workhorse material. Also, he's not young. Uh, Shoemaker is not young. Uh, and who is the, um, Oh, the dude who for the angels. Uh, I'm forgetting his name cause I don't like him. Um, but anyway, so like between these three pitchers our three starting pitchers, uh, their collective age is I think a hundred. Right, you've got a, like a thirty-four-year-old, mm-hmm. a thirty-three-year-old, and I don't know yeah. whatever. They- and also, pitchers come to the Blue Jays to die. 
yeah it's just how yeah, it yeah, is. yeah totally the legendary pete walker yeah oh that's still, right you yeah. and your pete walker uh uh theory but yeah i, I mean i don't know like it's going to be interesting like hopefully shoemaker can stay healthy and hopefully ryu can stay healthy um it's like Ryu is like an ace. Like don't get me, he he can pitch that way if he's if he's healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, was last American Tommy John East is last year. Uh, well, no, he pitched a whole season last year, right? So it was the year ago, before Tommy yeah. John. Um, but like the American League East is and like the Sky Dome is problematic. Like those are not pitcher friendly parks. Um, the Yankees like that to be spending you know more games playing in in a stadium like that where the the right field wall is a little shallow like i don't know i i'm just you know it's a hard-hitting league the american league is a hard-hitting league and it's kind of always been that way Mm -hmm. um so i'm a little hesitant to be as excited as as everyone else seems to be about it i'm not excited it's going to be like, it's, it will be fine. Like I, again, it's like the, I don't know. I've been a fan of a bad team for a long time. It's like the young guys are still going to be fun to watch. Um, the pitching could actually go very well, you know, yeah. it's just, you know, longevity, whether mm-hmm. in July, everyone is still throwing the same number of innings would be really interesting to see. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't see how it can. Um, it's I like. Do you know how much money they're getting? These guys are all getting paid. I don't want to talk about that. But is it a lot? I think so. I think for the the players, um, I think for who the players are, for guys of that vintage, um, I do. I think it's and again for for this league, like I think it's quite a bit of money. Um, I don't have I don't have the numbers in front of me. The, yeah, you know. Um, I just uh, the Ryu thing is such a gamble. I it is such a gamble. Um, yeah. I, on the other side, uh, all all good tr- good decisions are a gamble. Totally. Yeah. It's you know high risk high reward. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited about um, what he will bring to that team because I don't I don't know who the last Korean player to have played on the Jays would have been. Um, if there, I don't really if, remember if there one. was one. Um, but, you know, the city has a huge Korean population and, and it's, you know, only, only going to do good things for, yeah. for that. Like, I remember... Uh, uh, who was the... I can't even remember who it was now, but there was a game and a Korean pitcher or player was playing for a team against the Jays and everyone in the stands had his Jersey for whatever the opposing team was. And it was, it was just like, it was a bit like the energy in the stadium was crazy. It was yeah. just like, you know, this is like a legitimate star in, you know, in South Korea. So like, let's, unless it was, Oh, maybe, maybe it wasn't Korean. Maybe it was Ichiro. Welcome back to <laughs> the, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Mark's got a record coming out soon. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome back. Uh, <laughs> um, I do have a record coming out soon. I'm, I'm so excited about it. Me too. This thing's been like in the works for a while and there's been a lot of stuff that's happened behind the scenes, not related to the record that like caused it to be delayed. So the fact that it's like a slingshot right now and it's just like, yeah we're a month away from release when this comes out it'll probably be after right is that what yeah it works i think so the record's out and uh (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's the whole process has been uh this is the first like full-length one that i've done on my own like the other ones were like with a collective and it's like it's nice to have people you can bounce ideas off off of but i'm never doing it without a producer again not of this magnitude because i'm too I get too particular and then I can't make decisions. And then instead of actually making a decision, I just stop and then I put it on the shelf and maybe that's okay. But I really, I wanted that experience for this one, but 
I think part of it took longer so because you, of that. You're saying you did no producer this time? I did no producer I this see. time. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, and I think I think it's just kind of with this project, like with the quintet itself. Um, I did no producer because I had such an idea going into the studio what I wanted to sound like, but I didn't really factor in, you know, just like the picking of takes and um, the engineer and I spent David Hermiston and I spent a bunch of time, like after the fact, just kind of like messing around with a whole bunch of like post-production things that it would have been nice to have like a third set of ears being like, you know what? I, I like what that was. Let's, let's work on that. Yeah. As opposed to him and I just kind of like snowballing back and forth. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I think it's helpful, but it's also like, uh, I don't think producers get in the way of of us being ourselves when it comes to improvised creative music i think yeah and when i say producer like i i, I mean like it would have been another musician yeah. who i'm close with like you know what i mean like it would have been like a friend who very well could have been playing on the record um but someone who's like artistically aligned similarly just to kind of be like so that i didn't feel like i was imposing on the engineer or my band members you know it's like it's everyone's got their own things that they're working on. And so if, if I'm having a hard time trying to pick between two things and you send it to, you send it to someone and, and they don't get back to you right away, it's like, ah, now I'm waiting for you. And if it's a producer, it's their job to tell you you're crazy or not. Right. Um, and so that's the thing that I think um, in hindsight, um, I would have liked to have had particularly with, with this project and in the way I did it, when I started the record, I wanted, um, I very much wanted it to be like a hands-off kind of thing. Like we record and then I send it out to someone and then they mix it and it comes back and I send it out to someone else and it mastered. But then when I was kind of listening through takes and picking takes and deciding to do a little bit um, of the post-production stuff, I'm like, okay, I want, I want both hands in. I want it to be like, you know, I want to also learn something about like mixing in the process of doing it. And I think I may have gotten a little too deep into it. Uh, and because, you know, no one was breathing down the back of my neck being like, come on, make, make a decision. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's good. Uh, it features Al Sanow on alto sax, Matt Warshall on tenor sax, Chris Pruden on piano, and Nick Fraser on drums. Um, the band's been playing a while. I think the band played first in 2017. So um, it's going to be nice it's going to be nice to play again because we haven't been playing because mm. I've been working on this. Um, it's going to be nice to write some more for again once it's out. But Did uh, I maybe see you guys with two altos instead of alto tenor? That was the initial plan. I, I can't, I don't know that we actually played a show that was two altos, but the like my, conceptually for the album, I originally wanted to be two altos and I had written some of the music in that way. Um, but I felt really handcuffed by the range. Um, like I just, I, there were some lines that I ended up writing on a couple of the tunes. I'm like, I need, like, I need a lower note. And like the sound of the piano in that range wasn't filling up the sound that, the way that I wanted it to. So I asked Matt, um, like, Hey man, where do you stand on the whole playing tenor kind of thing? And he's like, yeah, like I'll, you know, I'll give it a shot. Like I've, I do play kind of thing. So, yeah. um, and it's cool. I mean, I've been making music with him since we were in school together and then we were kind of in New York at the same time. Um, so it was like, it was really nice to have both him and Allison. Uh, and it's, yeah, it, it, for, for my writing, like it works. And it's also really nice because when one of them can't do it, uh, Matt can play alto and then I could get a tenor sub or Matt can play tenor and get, I, you know, get an alto sub. Yeah. Sweet. Um, or, great. or I can just do quartet. Cause like the, some of the music was written for quartet and then arranged for quintet. Um, so it's nice to have like, again, if Allison can't do it because she's, she's busy, she's got uh, a group of her own that's, you know, really taking off. Um, it's nice to be able to be like, okay, I want, I want an alto player and Matt knows the music. So it works really well that way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm pretty excited. Um, I don't know how you get people to hear your music, though. 
you just um, like you know obviously you just quantity like, over quality at yeah this point. <laughs> you're just you're just churning it out yeah. like you just have to keep you know um and i think we got to start writing uh we got to start writing our own fake reviews i think that's the next step <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah totally i'm serious comedians no, have started to do it really yeah yeah i mean it's it's just a, you have to just engage you have to engage people and and like new content i guess is the best way to do that um it's again it's perpetually hard in canada because the country's so big so to get into a different market like actually physically you have to physically go to a different market um it's challenging i mean it's it's the same anywhere um but i yeah i'm I'm trying to book a september cd release to cd album release tour uh right now and it's it's just it's hard there's a lot of people chasing those same dates in those same cities um and you know no one knows who i am it's yeah you just Just, you you just keep going at it and so yeah just knock out a couple new york times reviews and you'll be perfect ripping yeah guys used to do that for their uh their There's a there's this comedy company or something called All Things Comedy and it's like the 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 board is like Bill Burr uh fuck I think Bert Kreischer's on the board uh whatever but there's this podcast that they that's on their label or whatever you call it group affiliated called History Hyenas <laughs> and one of them one of them wrote a, a Wall Street Journal article about themselves. And w- did it make it into the Wall Street Journal? No. Oh. But Bill Burr called the guy and was like, wow, congrats, congrats on your Wall Street Journal. Oh, and he and just the guy posted, was like, oh my the God, guy's that's like, amazing. Yeah, it was fake. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Like, no one's writing about us, like, kind of thing. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, you just have to, you have to find a way to engage masses of people, I think. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, I actually don't know. Like, I, it's, um... Also, again, it's like the new audience. Like, so obviously, you know about the record. Um, a handful of the people who follow me on social media know about the record. But like, getting outside of that is kind of the the thing that I'm pretty curious about hmm. right now. And it's just because, like, it's you know, that's all I'm thinking about. Just because it's like I, you know, you submit it to whatever Spotify playlist if you want, and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. It, I mean, also, it's you know, it's not the most accessible music in the world but i do think it's uh i think people will like it if they hear it so how do you get people to hear it mm-hmm. um this is the thing uh you just got to keep yeah keep knocking it out yeah it's uh it's good it's yeah the last month and a half, i'm never going to do another record around this time of year again so it's january now um my game plan was to have everything done by december 1st but naturally things you know you run into hiccups you want to change this you want to change that uh and basically what happened is i had the record completely mixed and mastered on december 19th and i sent an email to the mastering engineer uh being like hey can i get um the ddp files and it was it was late on a friday so i didn't anticipate response um and then on the 22nd in the morning i get a like, hey, Mark, glad you like it. Uh, we're on vacation until January 6th. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> because it's like, yeah, I'm so impressing vinyl for this. So like that, oh, that sweet. takes long. Um, and, uh, you know, the publicity campaign needs the CDs by a certain time. Uh, so it's this it's all of a sudden everything comes to a grinding halt because uh, I, just, you know, and I knew it like in, in October, I'm like, okay, whatever you do, get this done before the middle of December because things will shut down. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, I was like a day late, but, um, but you know, now I'm just kind of in the, all right, what else can I do to, to promote it and get things going on it? And, um, but yeah, don't, don't get caught in that situation. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the bass, I don't know. Do we want to talk about that instrument? Man, everyone's up on these uh, helicore strings right now. Fuck off. I, 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 <laughs> I, I know, like, 
everyone has like i don't i don't these things have been around forever and nothing has changed i started with them and everyone made fun of me i was like 2006 <laughs> like it was like what are those like those aren't you know like my yeah. teachers my friends even non-bass players were yeah, like what the, what, what's color. that it's like the silks are fucking ugly. it's yeah i i don't know and granted my bass is is silly there's a lot of issues with it so i you know but i wouldn't what the hell where, where did these like i wouldn't play those strings if they paid me i mean i i'm i'm a sucker i'd probably if they no actually no th- no i wouldn't i i finally found a setup that i think really works for my bass and works mm-hmm. for me so until i get a different bass i think i'm gonna try and do this as long as i can and i have never felt that usually i'm just like all right i'm gonna work with this and and away we go but like where i'm at now is for my bass i think it works i also don't have the money for genslers um, yeah so uh, I, I don't know if my bass is good enough for genslers either it depends i think uh uh it's one of those things like you can it uh you, you reach like max maximum potential with those strings so i think mm. any bass is i don't know if your bass really matters when it comes to the well oh, I, I know my bass doesn't matter but yeah uh, but like like i'm considering going down that route yeah but, i i had a really interesting thing the other day so one of the tunes on the record is a solo bass piece it was kind of a last minute addition to the thing um and there's a video that i released on uh, a, a video that has being released with that track. Um, and it's just the performance of it verbatim. And so I like, I know this song, it's a song of mine that I had written a while ago. Um, and so I had to relearn the arrangement of it. And I don't think I'm a better bass player than I was when I made the record, but watching myself play it on the video and playing it now, I know that there's a different, and I have, it's a different setup. Um, there are four different strings that I'm using. What were um, you playing when you recorded? I was using the Ava Parazzi Wikes with the Ava Parazzi Slap Gut. And it was good. The, that gut died. I mean, we talked about this, but like that gut died pretty quickly on my bass. Uh, my bass, it, the tension is, is all weird, so it could very well have been something like that. Um, but then I switched to Spyro Wikes on the E, A, and D and Accorda on the G and it like the bass opened up. It's uh, as far as getting around the instrument, it doesn't feel as tight. Um, but it's funny watching that video. I can see the things that I'm struggling with that, uh, like, like physically wrestling with on the bass, um, that I know now when I'm trying to relearn that arrangement, just don't exist the same way. Um, huh? Which was, you know, that's something I didn't even think about yeah. happening. Um, but yeah, like the video just got f- finished and sent to me last night. So I watched it. I'm like, oh, weird. Like, yeah, that's how I played that. And that's not how that feels um, now. So strings, man. Yeah, it's like it's a joke, but it's also the realist. Like bass players and strings. It's like it's like the punchline of the jazz community kind of but it's like well and like everyone has everyone's bass is different yeah sorry my fridge is super loud oh this is this guy um i just turned off my fridge (laughs) no it wasn't a fridge it was an espresso machine uh for those keeping score mark has an espresso machine so everything's going pretty good for him (laughs) must be nice pressing vinyls buying espresso machines new strings uh so on that note gensler is now making silk strings because i guess i think there was i read something on talk base that like when he left so, so he basically invented the garb the velvet strings and then he left the company there was apparently a contract before he could start making the silk strings oh, again interesting. so now he's making gut wrapped and silk wrapped so that could be this could be great silk wrapped gut is that what it is no it's silk wrapped in whatever the wrap is but it's silk oh on the okay, inside. Okay, okay, okay yeah so he's making those what again. were the obligatos uh is that not silk on the inside i don't know i'm not sure some okay. sort of synthetic thing but 
Yeah, switching switching to gut on my G string was the best decision I ever made. Yeah, uh, with the exception of like, I mean, like like I I practice arco, but like the type of arco playing that I'm doing, I can usually get by just using yeah. the D. Otherwise, you should have called a cello player uh, because like the gut. It's just it sounds too much like that gut string, and I don't practice enough of that to um, really make it make yeah. it work. I um, love it. I'm so into it. Like I was trying synthetic strings for years, the synthetic G's. I just like, and even I'm a couple synthetic D and it just eventually got to the point where I'm like, wait, why am I trying all these other options when like, there's a, there's a sound and a thing that I want. Um, and yeah, it's, I I really like it again for my bass. Yeah. I'm so into it. I'm, I'm down a Baroque bass spiral. Yeah. You bought that new bow. Thinking about taking some like Baroque lessons, just like to have someone help me navigate a bow and gut strings. Cool. Uh, and I'm thinking Is there about someone who does that here. There's some people in the Tafel music. Oh yeah, sure. Thing. Uh, there's this. Uh, but I went down the spiral of like figuring out who was where kind of thing mm-hmm. in in Canada, and the like the the heavy hitter that was in the Tafel music orchestra since like this like the mid seventies or something like is no longer with them. I forget her name. You could do like a, uh, Allison McKay afterwards. Allison McKay, I think with one L in McKay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But it's like a, it's like a thing. And, and I feel like even the, even when it sounds wonky, it sounds cool to me. Yeah, I I like the sound of like like my bass with gut string played arco, but I can understand how in some recording situations it doesn't it doesn't work. Yeah. Um like if yeah, it just like the it moves a lot of air and especially if you're like playing like quarter notes, it's it's really good for that and let's be honest, I play mostly quarter notes. Um, but yeah, it, it obviously doesn't have as much sustain. Um, and so in like, in certain, you know, pop or rock settings, it doesn't, um, yeah, doesn't I have cut properly. I have too much sustain. Like it's, a, it depends. I think it with depends gut string? with my gamuts. Oh, wow. I think it a little bit too much. I was thinking about playing around with my, uh, the wires on my tailpiece. Apparently if you pull them further apart it goes more thumpy and if you pull them closer together it's more sustained sorry the like the tail gut actually the tail wire so where it where it crosses over the body yeah yeah on the saddle yeah or is that what that's i don't know yeah the saddle to the yeah so when it comes across the corner uh if you pinch the tail gut together Mm -hmm. your sustain increases and if you pull the tail gut apart your sustained decreases weird yeah so you're you've got a gut tail wire no steel steel but i think it's still called people still call it tail gut oh okay i think that's just what it's called i'm not sure wow tail tail wire i mean mine's mine's wire yeah mine's wire too dan's rope we were talking about the other day interesting yeah Pinch your tailgate. <laughs> uh, I'm also debating. A lot of these Baroque players have like a a low string, so they do like G D A C or G D A D or B or something. Mm-hmm. And I might go down the. I might do B A. I might tune my bass B A D G for a bit. See what happens. B A D G. Cool. Cool. I think because I have like I have ridiculously long string length, so it'll it'll work. Yeah. I measured it today. How long is it? Forty four. Hold, you're kidding. It's not a standard, is it? No. What kind of bass is it? Strunal. Strunal. Oh, Str- okay. Cool. Strunale. I don't know. Strun. Strunale. <laughs> um, forty four. Yeah. Now I can't, I'm not really sure. Like if I actually measure the strings, it's 44. Like nut to the bridge. Nut to the, 
top of the bridge where the string yeah. is. But um, I was reading some things and like some people say to measure nut to bridge foot. But that's not string that's length. That's not string length. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what the deal is? Because I guess the point is the the, the point is like you never really know if the angle of your bridge is properly dialed in. Like sometimes they slip up and sometimes they slip down. Yeah. But the foot, if the foot is at the F hole marking, it's like relatively okay stable. However, you, know? you can move the foot from that F hole marking. There's a certain so I mine was short length. Yeah. Like like under under 40 39 and a half or something and now i've moved it so it's just over 40 and so there's enough structural integrity on the top of the base that you can put it slightly below the f hole um and yeah that notch is like the ideal mm -hmm. but like the guy who built my base was a farmer a carpenter who just decided he was gonna you know build bases mm. um so the measurements are a little off on that kind of stuff but he set it up in such a way that it is structurally sound enough to like nudge it just down a little bit below that F hole or mm. the, the notch. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you have a, I have a Chandler. I have a Peter Chandler base from Ilderton, Ontario, which is about just a little bit outside of London. Yeah. I've heard, uh, I mean, yours is great. Mine's Okay. It's I mean, good. I like it. Yeah, no, right totally. It. I I feel like, I like it a I, lot. When I play it, it's comfortable. It sounds good. It is now. Oh. Like, like I, when I say that, like, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the tension on that bass, I spent a lot of time. And it's just, it's one of those things that, um, they're, like, if you're playing bass as much as, like, a professional bass player is, um, depending on your, you know, your arm length and, like, uh, how I've got, I've got some weird wrist things going. I have a rogue muscle in both of my wrists that isn't connected to anything, but it means that like when I play, if, uh, if it swells from like just overuse and whatnot, it's like that can cause a significant amount of pain. So it's like, I spent, I th so I got to base in 2009 until 2000 and geez, I don't even know, like 15 or 16, I was adjusting things to try and get the tension closer to what other people's bases were. Um, and I know everyone's got high tension instruments, but like, I do love mine, but I know that there's, you know, I've kind of pushed it to its limit of the things that you can adjust on it. Um, but, and that's, that's kind of characteristic with a lot of these bases, but I just don't think people, I think people usually sell it before they try to you know, try to do that. I just, you know, I wasn't going to like, I know that it records well. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't going to sell, I wasn't going to make a lateral move. You know, like if I'm buying a new base, like I am buying one that is definitely better than the one I actually have, or one that I like more than the one I actually have. And I, ha I haven't found that base yet. Mm. But yeah, he, he made some interesting bases. Mine's a copy of, um, an English tar base. Um, and they're big bases. And mine was a prototype of, so he, he made a base for Ed Tate, um, who was in the TSO for years. Um, and Ed had, Ed had him, or I guess he made a, a copy of Tate's tar base. And mine was like the, the guinea pig that he tried before making that one. Ah, um, that's cool. Yeah. It's interesting. I, at least, I mean, I never taught, he passed away before, um, before I bought the base. Mm -hmm. Um, because his wife was clearing out the estate and I got it for about a third of what it's worth, um, which is amazing. Um, but uh, through research of like the people I've showed, they're like, Oh, this looks like Ed's base. Um, I kind of figured out that, okay, so this is what he did before he made that one. And then he made that one. Um, and I think someone in Canada has the one and it's, and it's really good from what I've heard. Like he nailed it. Hmm. Um, Apparently, I've heard that he nailed Matt Fong's also. So the story of Fong's base. Um, it's the Downing. It's yeah. So he and Andrew Downing collaborated on a travel base before, um, before that, that guy in Montreal does the removal neck yeah. and before the Chadwick and all that kind of stuff. And it's, yeah, just a smaller base that the neck is removable on. So 
Um, I haven't played Fong's bass in years. Um, yeah. I mean, he, like, this guy, like, he, he was a hobbyist with this stuff, but, like, he did okay. And it's funny. I was in the UK at one point trying out bass uh, while I was on a trip, and there's a place called the Bass Emporium that I looked up online, and I expected to go into, like, a shop. Um, but it's not. It's some dude's house. It, this guy's house, and he's got, you know, upwards of 60 bases in the house. And I played one that was, like, worth a quarter of a million pounds, He's like, so what do you think? I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, it's, it's like, <laughs> it's yeah, it, it, it plays great, but yeah. like quarter of a million pounds is like half a million dollars. Like, uh, what's insurance like here? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I told, so I was talking to him about, um, about my base. And when I mentioned Peter Chandler, he just kind of rolled his eyes. He's like, oh yeah. Like I have a copy of his book, like, you know, over here in the UK, like, you know, we've, we've heard, we just think it was kind of kind of silly that he tried to do it and i mean i've heard the same thing at shops that i've went to in new york and shops here in toronto um but yeah the guy was just he was just having fun from what i you know understand about it and this is what it's all about you've got a new series tell me about that i just saw that today yeah i'm gonna i'm taking over for furlong at winona Winona? second tuesdays is he leaving or is he just or no, he just oh, doesn't want to. Doesn't want to do it. Anyway. He's booking too many things, I nice. think. Um, but I'm just gonna do my band for a while. Awesome. Get some shit rolling. Sweet. And I th- I think the so kind of l- fairly short term plan is to just do my band, and then medium plan is to medium term plan. I should say is like doing my band with extra people here and there. Cool. And then then we'll see what happens. It might turn into like a peripheral vision type setup where I do opener and then I, my band plays. Is it Tuesday nights too? Yeah. Yeah. Second Tuesdays though. Second Tuesday, nice. Okay. I'm like, uh-oh. So I'm in competition with... Uh, Is that Ornate Ornette? But that's early. Nice. So okay. that's seven thirty to nine thirty. Mine starts at nine. Sweet. But what happens after ornate? Joe, is it? It it might be. I can't remember that one. Always cha- that used to be. There was a band called. Um, oh my god! It might be Michael Davidson slot now, but. It, it oh was, yeah, it's it, Michael. Right. Yeah. So that slot used to be a guy named Dan Gaucher. Um. And they had a band. It was him and Dan Fortan and Harley Card and Michael Davidson. And the band was called Stop Time. Um, and they had that series for a long time. Um, I can't remember who's the third third Sunday. Or third Sunday. Third Tuesday. Nick? Nick, Nick is the last. So third Tuesday is Lena then. There you go. And there's the transact schedule who's for you. the first you. Tuesday? PV. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What have you been listening to? <laughs> My goddamn record. <laughs> um So I'm I'm teaching a lot more this year than I ever have before, which is an interesting I don't thing. believe that's what I asked you. No, well I'm get, I'm getting at I'm getting at where where I'm going with it. Um but obviously I, with teaching i have an espresso stuff. machine i'm teaching <laughs> i'm pressing vinyl i'm settling man this is it I'm, I'm just you know putting my feet up and no so i'm teaching more and one of the things i do with my students because a lot of my teachers didn't they would talk to me about records but we wouldn't listen to it um so i'm listening to like i'm trying to find music for like a bunch of them to check out and then, like they're high school students so um like I for, you know, I, when I asked them, Hey, what do you listen to? And like, I don't know, whatever's on the radio. I'm like, okay, I, we can do better than that. Um, but, uh, so I revisited that John Mayer trio live record. Try. Do you know this? It's yep. Pino Palladino and Steven Jordan, man. Like, I mean, I knew that was good when it came out and I listened to it, but like it's slamming. It's, it's crazy. Like if you haven't listened to it in five years or even two years, or since yesterday, go listen to it. Yeah. Cause holy cow. It's so good. Like it's, it's insane. It's I, yeah, I've been listening to it for a week everywhere. Um, 
So that, um, I went back to the remedy that Kurt Rosenwinkel live <clears throat> record. Um, cause I hadn't listened to that. Is in that a long the time. live at the Vanguard one? Yeah. 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 Um, Aaron Goldberg, Joe Martin, Mark Turner, and I think it's Marcus Gilmore. Um, man, Marcus Gilmore. Are you sure? I feel like it's too old for Marcus. Let's see. Let me, uh, it would, it would probably be, uh, this is everyone who's listening to this with bated breath. Maybe you can, the Lincoln center guy. What's, what's his name? Oh, sorry. Uh, It's Eric Harlan. I mean, Oh, it's Eric Harlan. Of course it's Eric Harlan. Um, here, I'll give it to you again. Uh, it's, uh, Mark Turner, Aaron Goldberg, Joe Martin, and, uh, Eric Harlan. (laughs) Put them both in. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, like crazy it's yeah also really really good so this is so john uh, sorry ollie jackson was the name that i was thinking of i knew it wasn't ollie jackson um he's on a good one though he's on a great kurt record never mind continue <laughs> um so yeah so i i went back to listen to that um it's re- like i mean everyone always talks about it, but it's really cool with teaching uh especially when you're trying to introduce people to new music because you get to revisit a bunch of stuff. And I haven't listened to that record in a long time either. Um, and it's cool. It's cool listening to it with, you know, ears after you've listened to a lot more music. Um, so that's the stuff digitally I'm listening to. Um, I'm listening to a lot of Art Tatum. Dude. It's I, it's over there on vinyl. I just got an Art oh, Tatum. Oh, and Ray Charles. Yeah. There's Man, so there's this Ray Charles record. Um, sorry. Art Tatum first, then I want to talk about this Ray Charles thing. I just got an Art Tatum shirt, and I'm stoked on it. <laughs> nice. How's it sound? Sick. Um, yeah. Uh, a buddy was over yesterday when we were making some espresso on my new espresso machine, and uh, we were far too hopped up on espresso, but listening to Art Tatum on you know too much coffee is yeah. not a relaxing thing. Um, it's, it's pretty, he's a fucking savage. It's pretty aggressive. It's yeah. It's so cool. It's like, I mean, yeah, I'd listened to him before, but like, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's a solo piano. It's It's crazy. It's the best. And, uh, also he's, his entire concept is just ripping off our Tatum. Interesting. Uh, sorry, Ray Charles. No. Okay. So, um, so I'll go on that, uh, website discogs. Yeah. Um, so long story short, so I was buying, um, I was buying my girlfriend a Christmas present. Um, and he's got a girlfriend <laughs> and they celebrate Christmas. <laughs> so anyways, I bought her, um, I bought her a pressing of Jagged Little Pill, the Alanis Morissette record, mm-hmm. um, because she was listening to it the other day. She's like, oh yeah, I really like this. I'd like, Do you think it'd sound good on vinyl? I'm like, well, if I can find one made from analog tapes, like, yeah, it probably sounds great. So anyway, so I found one. So I'm in the store and I'm sifting through the store, uh, like other records in the store. I find um, a, a Brian Eno record that I've been looking for for a long time called Music for Airports. Um, but I'm looking at it and it's... Is that the is that one with... It's uh, Ambient 2. Or maybe it's Ambient 1. Is uh Canadian fella guy... Uh, fuck is lanois involved on that one i have no idea i i okay sorry sorry to interrupt anyway so like i found a version of it in there but like it was 45 bucks i'm like man if this is like a reissue because sometimes with these european labels they'll just like reprint something from a cd onto vinyl and then mark it as like a new 180 gram vinyl thing so i went home and i went on discogs and so i'm searching to see if i can find anything about this copy but then i find a 70s pressing of it that is like cheap coming from montreal so what i do then is to cut down on shipping costs i try and see if there's any other records to pair so i'm not paying to ship just one because it's usually like two for ten or whatever so anyway so i find that and then i find um this ray charles record um there's two there's uh ray charles like the genius of ray charles and then there's the genius of ray charles after hours so i end up buying both of those being like yeah you know i haven't listened to this in a while um, the genius after hours is just a jazz record. Like he's just playing tunes on the piano and it's awesome. Sweet. It's like with a band or solo with a band. Um, do you know who it is? Uh, it's on, do you want me to go get the, 
Here, hold on. Okay, that Brian Eno record is ambient one. Uh, but yeah, so on this Ray Charles Genius After Hour, there's some tracks with uh, Fathead Newman. Um, Oscar Pettiford plays bass on some of it. Joe Harris on drums. Uh, Roosevelt Sheffield on bass. William Peoples on drums. But Oh, so it's not like... It's not just one session. It's a bunch of... Seems that way. Um, well, I mean, it might have been one session, but like... Because Roosevelt Sheffield and William Peoples are on drums for most of it, with the exception of this trio session. Um, but yeah, it's like... I was... At first, I was disappointed, because I'm like, oh, I don't want to... Like, I was wanting to hear him like, sing these tunes. Yeah. Like, it's... What's the cover look like? Like, they play The Man I Love yeah on huh. it. but it's good but anyways it's cool it's if you're not hip to ray charles get to it because it's yeah i don't know i remember checking it out in high school that was like someone's like oh you like jazz check this out and like okay well you know i end up you know moving and then i get more of the music i'm like okay that's not really what i you know i wouldn't classify that as the most jazzy jazz that I've ever heard in my life. Right. Jazzy, jazzy jazz. I've jazz. never said that. Are you sure? You know, I heard uh, word on the street is that Ray Charles wasn't actually blind. Him and Stevie Wonder. Welcome is back that? to the, <laughs> the nation's favorite podcast. Um, yeah, I, I don't Ray Charles, it's cool. It's really, really cool. Um, check it out. Uh, oh, and then there's this Joe Farrell record that I got. That's Trio? That's the other one. Um, quartet. Uh, Chick, Buster, and I can't remember the fourth. I can't remember who's on drums. Wait, who? Who's on it? Chick Korea. Buster Williams. Oh, Buster. I thought you said Lester. <laughs> Sweet. Joe Farrell and Lester Young together again. Uh yeah, I don't know. Getting this record, so I got this record player a couple years ago. Um, it it really kind of changed the way that I like actively listen to music. Mm. Um, and maybe it's just because I have to physically get up and flip it. But like in our age of streaming, it's so easy to just like get through a lot of things and be like, oh, maybe I didn't actually listen to, it. or at least for me, like you know, I yeah. So what it did for me is just kind of like slowed down the process of listening to music. Yeah. Um, Super and, important. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, I get the same thing with tapes. Mm, sure. It's yeah, a I similar thing, like putting on a tape in the car opposed to a CD. Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, and listening in the car used to be the big way that I listen to music. And then a bass player told me like, you're not really listening to music. You're, you're kind of cheating. Who said that? Ben street. Oh. <laughs> but, no, for like for a long time, like the main place I listened to music was in my car, mm-hmm. um, which I think is true for a lot of us. Um, but yeah, then getting the record player and just like, Andy's got a car. Well, I mean, you knew that if you've been checking out the record at all, not just any car. My 2006 Dodge Grand Caravan. It's a 2006? It's a 2006 Jean-Claude Van Tan. 14 Damn. years old. Didn't want to start this morning. It is too cold. Got to get a block heater for that guy. Mine's a 2005. How many How many kilometers? I don't know. A lot. Well, you don't know? How do you not know? That's like not knowing their birthday. Uh, people are born every day. <laughs> it's like 285. That's a lot. I think I'm in the 240s, if I remember correctly. I don't know. Anyway, so listening to music in your car is like, is cool and all, but like getting, getting the record player set up was good because I'm also like, like, it's not like you have the whole arsenal of, of, you know, you don't have the whole ECM discography in front of you. Um, so, you know, I, at one point I bought treasure Island, uh, 
and I've just, you know, I just listened to that like consistently. And it was like, you know, you start getting into it differently and that kind of, and that's the way that everyone used to listen to music. And I get that it's nothing special just because I'm doing it. But for me, it's like, it's been a big change. Game changer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also like, you can't like, if you're listening to it, um, it's not like you can rewind it and, oh, what was that again? Like, if you stop paying attention, like, you miss it. And sure, you can get up and you can lift the needle and you can put it back down. But it's much easier just to sit there for 15, 20 minutes and and be engaged. Yeah. Um, and I th- I think it sounds different. It um, sounds a lot different. It's like it's like uh, streaming to streaming to vinyl is almost the same as, like, listening on a listening at your house on speakers and going to see a band live totally it's like that drastic of a well like it is physical sound it's not zeros and ones yeah. and again maybe maybe i can't hear a difference but um i'm i feel it differently yeah you know definitely um it's like the same as a microphone pickup on a bass yeah hey, okay so what's so using a mic, what's the cheap setup? 58. For, yeah. See, 50, would you ever use a 57 instead? Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure the move is a beta 57. What's the difference between the beta and the... The beta has a more direct uh, pattern. Because the 58s have like a voice, like a grill or yeah. pop thing on it. So um, uh, the theory is there's like more... Uh, there's like more oomph on a 58, but you get more drums. Oh, okay. Pick there's more drum bleed. Yeah. The uh, Beta 57 is a tighter pickup pattern, hmm. but has a little less like. I think I might buy one just to have for so like I played a gig with and there was a system there. Um. And I, I didn't bring my DPA because it, like I figured this room wasn't going to be set up for that. Um, but I might just like buy a 57 just to like have in my base case. 57 or 58? You said beta 57. Yeah. Yeah. So I might just buy like a beta 57. To, are they expensive? They can't be. I 57s think they're like, are cheap. I, they're more expensive. They're, it's a, than it's the, like a stronger magnet or something. But yeah, hmm. I don't know. It depends. You should like go to... Go to Long McQuaid and like rent a fifty-eight, rent a fifty-seven, and a beta fifty-seven, maybe even a beta fifty-eight. Just see what happens on your bass. Good, I had more shit to try out. That's it's so stupid. fun. It is. It is fun. But this is the thing. Like, I just get frustrated and then I stop working on it. Yeah, but it's also like the most important thing. Yeah. The way no, we, totally. The way we sound is the most important thing. You're right. So. I'll talk setup all day because I want to know all the secrets and I want to, I want to try everything and I want to know. Yeah. No, that's all right. So maybe, maybe we have a, we should have a round table discussion about that, about the setup secrets. That'd be a good one. Yeah. I also just want to specifically talk Toronto base right now. Oh no. no. Okay, good. I'm like, dude we do not have time for that <laughs> um yeah i should probably call it now time that. but yeah all right just as a we, we were talking about it before the mic the record on. comes out on <laughs> february 21st 2020 mark godfrey square peg square peg square peg is the name of the record oh we are you think the mark godfrey quintet thing is that what you're i don't know the thing I put up today was the single that's coming out. The single's called Square Peg. No, the record is called Square Peg. There oh. is a song on the record called Square Peg. It was okay, fine. So the tune that's called Square Peg was okay. So there's the piano player in my band goes, you know, like for someone who likes Ornette Coleman as much as you do you don't really write in a fashion that like is really, you know, um, that like, it doesn't remind me of it kind of thing. Like if it's something you tried, I'm like, Oh, no, I haven't. So I wrote a tune and that tune is on the record. 
Um, and actually, it's actually my favorite tune on the record, and it, really nice thing happened in it. And it, he took four takes of it, and the fourth take was completely unrelated to the other ones, and it's the one that made it on the record. But anyways, that tune was originally called The Shape That Came, in reference to the Ornette album, The Shape of Jazz To Come. And then someone was like, dude, that's a little over the head, and they usually just like change it. So I'm like, okay, it's like shape. So it's kind of like a putting a square peg in a round of holes. So maybe I'll call this a square peg. So anyway, Order off. Oh, fuck you. No, Did I'm you kidding, actually? No. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I, yeah, I thought there, I thought your record was called something to do with the van. But I guess that's... It's uh, not. Like, the van thing... I mean, I don't... If we're going to get into this, like... 